Dog Training Digital presents the eCollars Podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. So one of the words that we use in dog training is pressure. And I think it it throws some people off. But we talk about e-collars and we talk about, sometimes we'll talk about stimulation, but we'll refer to it as pressure. And so I want to talk a little bit about your take on dog training and pressure and how that fits into what you're doing. So give us your take on pressure. Well, first, I think it's really important for people to understand pressure is a natural part of the everyday world. It's something that every species is affected by every single day of our life. It's what motivates behavior. So when some factions want to argue that training a dog can be all positive and everything should be completely stress-free, this is where I get frustrated because it's not realistic, right? What motivates a person to go to work? You have to make some sort of a living, right? What motivates a person to put on a raincoat or open an umbrella? The rain is just creating enough of discomfort or a cool temperature or whatever, just enough discomfort, just enough pressure on you to modify your behavior. It's no different for a dog. What motivates a predator, if we're talking about wild dogs, what motivates them to hunt? Hunger. Hunger is a pressure that is motivating them to change their environment. If you've ever sat on a plane and you had the screaming child behind you, Mm. it's pressure to put your headphones on, right? Or it's pressure, you get a little annoyed, you want to help that person quiet that child down. Pressure is part of our everyday experience. It's what causes us to move from one point of discomfort to a place of more comfort. Discomfort doesn't have to mean that the recipient is in pain. They just want to improve their situation. And I think that's what people need to understand about pressure. It's everywhere, all the time. It's, if you want to call it a certain level of stress, whatever you want to call it, pressure is part of a learning system that is ingrained in every species. And so when we start thinking that we shouldn't subject the dog to any pressure, realistically, we probably shouldn't put a leash on then because they don't know how to respond to that pressure and they don't know what to do with it. We, people would say, well, you should only train with food. Well, when you're training with food, which I do a ton of, you're basically holding that food back until the dog performs a behavior that you like, might be sitting, might be keeping four paws on the floor as opposed to jumping on you, but you're withholding it. That's pressure on the dog because he wants to achieve the reward. He wants to get the food and then you're rewarding for that behavioral change. So it's so part of training and learning for every species here. I guess I get a little frustrated sometimes that people don't understand it or therefore judge it more harshly when we start talking about pressures with remote collars. So I think the frustration or the misunderstanding to me that a lot of people have when we start talking about pressure is that they seem to think that pressure to me, it's degrees of. And so it's the question of, How little pressure can I use to get you to do what I want you to do? That's really the goal in, in, I think most of the training that I've always been exposed to in that the, the pressure has to correspond to what the dog's doing and what he needs. 
And so even if you take remote collars out of the whole thing, if you just go back to a flat collar and a leash, the amount of pressure is going to be determined by what the dog needs. And that's going to depend on all sorts of factors. So I think some of it comes down to where when you talk about put stress or pressure on a dog, people tend to think that's some sort of level of brutality. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about finding the least amount of pressure that accomplishes what you're trying to do. I think that's the goal here. People have the misnomer, especially when we start talking about electronics, they have the misnomer that it's something that is causing pain or extraordinary discomfort. It's not. If I come up, uh, in a good example, so I like to try to draw some analogies that are relevant to my own life or perhaps somebody else's life. When I was younger, when I was a whatever, 12, 13, and you're kind of going through that transition phase in your adolescence. My father is a very quiet person. He's very subtle. I honestly don't remember ever being yelled at in my life. My mother may have grounded me for something or another, but my dad was very subtle. If my dad put his hand on your shoulder to talk to you, everything changed about my demeanor. It was just, he wasn't, my dad never lifted a hand to me. I've never had any negative experience like that, but just that change of that hand there settled on my shoulder. I also went to Catholic school. So if the nun put the hand on the shoulder, ah. you, do, you better get back to do your homework, right? It's a just a subtle shift in pressure. It's not painful or anything else, but it shifts the situation so that you need to shift something in your behavior. And we're talking about very similar things with remote collars. When you say it is using the minimal amount of pressure to get the job done, it's exactly that way when we're pulling on a leash, it's that way if I'm using a prong collar, it is that way if I'm using a remote collar. We're doing something. We're manipulating the environment ever so slightly to change the pressure so the dog is learning to move away from it and we're guiding them toward the behavior that makes them more comfortable. The cool thing, obviously, any of us learn about when we have control of changing the pressure we're experiencing, we're empowered, right? We're empowered. If we know we can avoid pressure, if I know following the speed limit keeps the cops, the pressure off, keeps me from getting any ticket, I'm empowered by that. There's empowerment in teaching a dog how to have control of it. And that's why the dogs work so willingly and happily when we're using pressure and teaching them how to understand it. Personally, I think, well, so we're, we're going to have to discuss how does this create resiliency, but is this making sense how I'm describing it or what's your thought on that, Steve? Yeah, for me, it's always made sense. And I think it's the same way. I think if you go back and you talk about, and I know you, you do this a lot and I do it a lot too, and it throws some people, but uh, dog training and raising kids to me are very similar concepts. You have two, I have four, and there is not a, this is the way it works for every one of them. My four kids are incredibly different from each other, and I have to use different amounts of pressure on each of them depending on the situation. And if I tried to, if I took the same amount of pressure for one and put it on another, it would end up being an overreaction where my mm -hmm. oldest, who you know very well, and he doesn't grasp that, that, that uh, speeding police officer ticket concept <laughs> as well as I would like for him to, but he pays for his own now, so I don't worry about it as much. But my youngest, my youngest doesn't require the same amount of pressure that my oldest did. And I've had to learn that through the process. My, my daughter requires a whole different set of, it's a completely different thing in using pressure on her 
compared to using pressure on the boys. And so I find dogs are the exact same way. And that's that to, that to me is where training collars come in to be really handy because they give you the ability to raise and lower pressure depending on not only the dog, but depending on the situation. And so same thing's true on a dog. I've always used remote collars uh, from the standpoint that my dogs are those dogs that are not focused on me as much as some dogs. And you'll see that when you're working with dogs. Certain dogs are very handler focused and they are, they are very in touch with where you are. And then some breeds are not, and their goal is to be away from you. And they're always, their brain is always out. It's always a hundred yards away from you. It doesn't matter where they are. They're always thinking about that, that move. And so, um, pressure for them can be so, so, I mean, subtle to the point of even tapping them on the shoulder and going, no, focus on me. I know that your brain's out here and that you were running and everything is, you were out here, but I need you to stop and focus on what I am saying to you. And that's the, it can be as subtle as that. It can be as subtle as just a tap on the shoulder where I go, no, listen to me right now with, and with some kids, it's the same way. It's the, you just have to get them out of that moment and, and put your hand on them is a good way to do it. That physical touch and dogs are the same way. Yeah. You can completely change a dog's demeanor by touching them in the right spot and getting them to settle. And that's pressure. I mean, it's all pressure. Every, everything, the entire world is, everything that you experience has a certain amount of pressure on you. Temperatures and oh, yeah. the weather and other people and using your body. I've always been amazed to watch you work with a dog and use your, by putting pressure on a dog, by moving toward them or away from them. I mean, it's the same concept. Mm -hmm. And let me expand on that for anybody that's not heard that concept before. Spatial pressure is a very natural way that dogs communicate with one another. So simply understanding that, and most people do the opposite. They make the mistake of doing the opposite. So if I move toward a dog, the pressure is going to cause that dog to move away. They're going to back up. So moving toward is a perfect way generally to stop the dog from jumping on you. Move into them. Take up that space. You put pressure on the space. They back up. They stop jump, jumping. Reverse holds true if you want the dog to come to you. Take the pressure away. Move backward. Walk away. Turn and go the other direction. Dog is way more likely to follow you by that removal of pressure. And so, yes, that is how, and that's how they communicate with each other, right? Because they're a pack. It's a pack dynamic. If one dog moves in on the other, there's probably going to be some confrontation. They know that they yield space versus if one dog is leading, everybody follows and that's a pressure response. So very normal part of learning. And back to this, I tend to hit on this, probably this topic a lot because I'm a little sensitive to people wanting to stop the use of remote collars. And yet I see people who are training with head halters. Again, don't have a problem with a head halter, use them. There are cases where they, I need them. In my opinion, Using a head halter or the nose loop on a dog is the most pressure you can put on a dog. Why is that? Because pressure is very hard to relieve. There is always, even if you're not activating that head halter, there is always the very subtle reminder across the bridge of the nose that I've got, I can take charge of you anytime. So there is never complete absence of pressure. Even though you release a head halter when you're doing those techniques, there's always that very subtle reminder. So essentially when I have a head halter on a dog, it's like dad always keeps his hand on my shoulder, not squeezing down, but it's always there. The suggestion is always there. Is that good or bad? It's not either. There are dogs that we need that to get some, build some rapport with them and build some relationship. There are dogs that need it. There are kids that need the hand on the shoulder almost the right. whole time. The whole time. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, 
But the same thing. So when people are making a judgment about tools, what's humane, what's inhumane, every single tool is an application of pressure. We're using it to leverage behavioral change. It's just understanding how to use them. Our goal is always about minimal amount of pressure it takes to achieve a behavioral change in the dog, which again brings us back to what we both believe. Remote collars are probably one of the very most subtle ways to do it. No yelling, no anything you can fine tune to the dog in question, right? We're just using tactile pressure. So let's talk about, okay. So a large number of dogs that I see are uncomfortable in the world and they're not designed to handle certain situations. And I think this comes from a lack of, I think it comes from a lack of work and a lack of pressure where if you're not putting that pressure on the dog, they don't know how to respond to external pressures. Can you talk about, can you talk about, can you expand on that? Because I think we see a lot of that with problems with dogs nowadays. I I would agree with you. I agree with you for a number of reasons. One, I see it more and more. I, my background is I worked as a vet tech many years ago. And so over the years, what one of the things we see in the industry, and I actually saw some things on Facebook recently where some veterinarians are beginning to refuse service to certain dogs if they're not, like if you can't just hold them and restrain them to do simple right. things like a blood draw, then until you can master that, get your dog to hold still, we don't really deal with your dog anymore. Super sad to think that kind of stuff is going on because this is the result of believing that everything should be all positive and there's no need for any kind of pressure or force. If you want to use the word force, it's not, we're not doing our dogs any favor by not teaching them how to tolerate, handle, and move through these experiences so that it's no longer disconcerting, right? Everything is pressure at first. They don't understand it. It's a brand new puppy. The fact that we should take that puppy, restrain them, hold on to them, pinch those toes just a little tiny bit the way you would when you're given a nail trim, pull the brush through them, which causes minor discomfort he's never experienced before. If you raise your hands and go, oh my gosh, he's a little nervous about this. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it today. Well, you're never going to teach him. We didn't do that with our children. I remember my son not wanting to get his teeth brushed when he was whatever, 18 months old, and they put on a hissy fit and you're like, no, we're going to work through it. And we're going to teach you. And He's 30 years old and he brushes his teeth. So same thing with dogs, right? We teach them and walk them through this process. What I've seen more and more is people being misled into thinking they are being cruel by subjecting their dog to any kind of stress whatsoever. And so you have dogs that have no resiliency, no ability to navigate the world around them. They are essentially crippled, for lack of a better word. They're emotionally crippled to go out in the world and learn how to deal with stresses around them. Let's talk a little bit about how you build a dog that can handle uh, pressure. And you talked about puppies. So, so what I see is puppies train people. People don't train puppies mm -hmm. in that, in that if they don't like something, they're going to go out of their way to make sure that you understand that they don't like it and squirm and holler. And, uh, and so, so that's, and that's training. It just, it's not really good training. It's just training. And so you have these dogs that they figure out pretty fast that all they have to do is throw a minor fit and you're going to back off. And so you end up with these dogs that have figured out that nothing happens to them as long as they behave in a certain way. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's, 
Well, go ahead. You touched on, I like to talk about puppies a lot because I think that's, I think you can accomplish so much with puppies and that's not really what we're talking about here, but just give me a little bit of what you're talking about there as far as what you want to do with it, with the young dog. Well, and so, and really any dog, if we start with a puppy, that's ideal because it's certainly easier. They don't have, they have, a puppy hasn't learned the level of resistance that you might get. I've adopted a lot of shelter dogs, stuff like that. I've trained a lot of older dogs. So if the person didn't do their homework when the dog was a puppy, the dog has learned that resistance pays off. Now I'm going to have to work a lot harder with that 12-month-old dog or 24-month-old dog or whatever versus if I've got an eight, 12-week-old puppy, he's going to put up a fuss, but he's going to get over it faster because he hasn't learned the bad habits have worked for him. So how do we go about it? You go about it incrementally, right? So what you have to, let's just say for the, for instance, this is just teaching a dog to tolerate restraint because we want to hang on to him. We want to trim his nails. The dog's going to squirm. The dog might bite at your hand. The dog might pitch a fit. But what you do is you just persist. You stay calm. You act completely unimpressed. You just persist and you apply a little bit of pressure so I snug that little puppy to my body because that helps me keep hold of the little wiggling man, right? He's wiggling. I apply pressure. And what he learns is as he relaxes, the pressure begins to go away. Now, do I let him down immediately right away? No, because as soon as he starts squirming, pressure is applied again. He's learning very quickly how to control what I do based on what he does. As he relaxes, the pressure goes away. When he's completely calm, completely muscles are relaxed, now I will put you back down. But as long as you fight, that's just going to take longer to get to the end goal of what he wants. So I'm actually teaching him to control his own fate by relaxing into it. And that's how we, I may trim one toenail that day, but then I'll do another one the next day. And we work through until he can go long enough to get all the toenails trimmed in one, one sitting. And so this creates a dog that, that stress isn't going to bother. They're going to learn how to respond to it. And they're going to learn that just because something is uncomfortable or they're in a situation that is not exactly ideal for what they want, they can handle it because they've learned how to handle that from day one. I think it's even more than that, Steve. I think it's more than just them having learned how to handle stress. I think it's no longer stressful. That situation is no longer stressful because it's not novel anymore. Again, another analogy I would make, I was raised in a very small town in Wisconsin, population 1,200 people. It hadn't really been out of my environment until I was in my late 20s. I think I was in my 30s before I ever went to New York City. I can tell you what it felt for this little country girl for the first time that I was in downtown Manhattan in Times Square. And I was like, ah, completely overwhelmed by the pressure of of the environment. That's a lot lot of of pressure. A lot of pressure. And you're feeling very insecure and, oh, I don't know if I'm safe. And, and three days later, I'm walking down the sidewalk. I'm going to go get a slice and this is great. And you learned how to adapt to it. But if you don't put yourself in it and if you don't expand the comfort zone, then the new experience is never going to be comfortable. So it's really not necessarily that we've only taught the dog to tolerate it. We've taught the dog to work through it and it's no longer a stressful situation for him. And that benefits the dog. So makes sense. Yeah, no, I, like I said, to me, it's a, it's a concept that I think a lot of people have a hard time with. And I think, you know, I think that we make things too easy for them. Sometimes I think it's important to have 
those skills where they can work through things and allowing them to fail and repeat and letting them learn how to get through a process. I think that is, is huge for a dog as far as expanding their, just their mental toughness is really what, what I'm looking at. Mm. You've been one of the things that, that I've seen some folks starting to add into some of their training and this kind of all comes back to it, but, but, you know, we're doing some agility stuff now, just some real minor agility stuff just to teach the dog how to deal with different spaces and in a controlled environment. And it's amazing what it does for them. I think that anything that you can, anything that you can add into that dog's world that, that, that challenges them and teaches them how to work through it. I think you, you end up with a dog that, that can mentally take a lot. So go, kind of pulling it back to an e-collar concept to me, you're using pressure in a way that, that let's talk about teaching, like just something basic, teaching a dog to walk on a leash. How are when you're doing that with a remote collar? Go, kind of go through the process of how that compares to what you would do if you were just teaching on a flat collar. So with the e-collar, first of all, I'd have to take a little bit of time to figure out what does the dog notice. So figuring out the level and what do they notice. Once I've dialed that in, then it is, again, it's a game of pressure on and pressure off. So the dog feels pressure, meaning I'm applying simulation when there's tension in the line, right? So he's got tension in the line. I'm applying pressure. I am taking the initiative to move away from the dog because if we remember movement away tends to draw the dog toward you. I may be using my voice to motivate the dog a little bit to follow me. As soon as he takes a step in toward me, then I come off the button. So the pressure goes away. Now he's going to, he doesn't realize any of this yet. He's going to move away again. There's tension on the leash. I apply pressure. I move away from the dog. So I'm always going the opposite direction. The dog wants to go north. I'm going to go south. While the dog is going north, I'm applying pressure. I'm walking to the south. As soon as he turns, move towards me. It obviously loosens up the leash a little bit. I come off of the e-collar and the dog starts to be able to play this game of comparison. When do I feel it and when don't I? Pressure is on when there's tension on the line and you're not following. Tension and pressure is off when you're following. So it's like a game of hot and cold. And I think we all played that when we were kids, sure. right? It's essentially playing a tactile game of hot and cold with the dog. Pressure on when you're pulling, pressure off when you're with me, on when you're pulling, off when you're with me. And it doesn't take too long for a dog to figure that out because it is just such an obvious system of learning for the dog. When do I feel it and when don't I? And so, and you're it's doing kind of that well, it may, yeah, it makes, it, and so basically it's a situation of, and you're even using the leash as a cue for yourself. Is that correct? Oh yeah. In the very beginning, I'm using the leash. Yes, I usually, and I think that's important to point out because I don't want people to think that if this is the very first time that you're starting with your dog and you're teaching them to walk on a leash, you have to be fair with your expectations. So I do not start out with the expectation that this dog is going to be in heel position after right. one session. I start out with the expectation that the dog is going to learn to turn and orient themselves toward me when they feel pressure. So now I have them on a leash, obviously, but the, so they're learning to orient to me. That is also causing them to take pressure off the leash. So they're learning to walk on a loose leash. As soon as they pass me and maybe they maybe they come up behind me and they go out in front, as soon as they pass me, I turn and go the other way and I'll apply pressure again. Pressure goes off when they turn and orient toward me again. So now the dog is essentially learning to walk on a loose leash, 
But the bigger picture is if this is because this is the first exercise I typically teach with right. the dogs when I'm doing e-collar work. So, yeah, they're learning to walk on a loose leash. But basically what they're learning also is follow or pay attention to Robin. And if I have attention, then all the other behaviors can start to fall in line much more quickly. You got to have and attention that's, first. But that is where you start. I mean, you start out with a long line and it's a go with me concept. And, and we're going to talk some more about levels and how you determine all of that. But, uh, you know, that that is sort of the precursor for everything else that you build. And so that and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about pressure. We're talking about. To me, it's the exact same thing that you do. I'm not a gigantic fan when people talk about e-collars being a long leash. I don't like the, I don't like that comparison, but it is tied in with the pressure that, uh, that you can create with a leash in that if a dog's where I want him position wise, the leash is going to be loose. But if he's pulling on me, there is that pressure and using the e-collar to, to timed with that pressure. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about where. The dog is in control of when it's on and when it's off. And I think that it is a very quick concept for them to pick up because mm -hmm. it, as long as you figure your timing out and you are in control of when they turn it on and when they turn it off, they pick it up incredibly fast. And it carries over super fast when you start adding other skills. So pressure on, pressure off when we're teaching them to go to a target, right? We're teaching okay. them to stay on a place board. Very obvious. Pressure on, pressure off if you're in a down position or not. Pressure on, pressure off when you're sitting. It's just a very easy way for the dog to learn. And it becomes, it's been my experience that it becomes easier and easier as you move from one behavior to the next. So the dog doesn't understand it in the beginning, but as he starts to realize that he can control his situation, make the pressure go away by doing whatever behavior we're asking. Of course, we're guiding them. There's a lot that goes into it. I don't want to make it sound so simple, but sure. um, it's so black and white. But to the point where I personally teach a lot of advanced behaviors, I teach my retrieving with a pressure on, pressure off type of system. And it's amazing how quickly the dogs can pick that up. And this goes to the whole point that e-collars are a communication tool. They're not just punish him because he did something wrong. When I am using that collar, I am very clearly communicating and talking to the dog. I'm talking through a tactile language of pressure on, pressure off, giving him information all the time. Well, that I think that's something that folks don't understand and how you go about the process. When we first started working together, my first takeaway was is that Man, you press that button a lot, but that's the idea behind it. And it's the, it's the more information that you're given to them, the quicker that they grasp the concept and they can get into the position that we want them in. And that's, we joke about the tap, but that's the idea behind it is that it's, there's a lot of repetition and that stimulation stays on when they're, they're out of, they're out of position. And that's the pressure that we're talking about. And as they move, that pressure comes off. And that's really, it's a real simple on off process that dogs respond to incredibly well because either they're in the right position or they're not and the pressure's on, the pressure's off. There's a lot of timing that goes into it and there's a lot of understanding of levels. To me, it's a simple concept, but there's a lot of things that go with it that we need to talk more about. That's the part that I want people to understand is that when we're talking about pressure, that's what we're talking about. We're talking yep. about anything that, that 
causes them to understand that, that this behavior is not what we're looking for and move into this behavior. I mean, there's a guiding that goes into it. Feedback. It's feedback. Yeah. So, yep. so you're able to very quickly communicate with them. You know, this is not what I want. This is what I want. And so we'll talk a little bit more about how that's used down the line, but, uh, but that's just the basic concept of what we're looking at when we're talking about pressure. All right. We'll dig into it more next time. Yep. Okay. That sounds great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit ecollars.com. This is Robin McFarland's eCollar Training. This video series takes a systematic approach to e-collar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This DVD series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. Robin takes you step-by-step step through the process of laying a foundation, solving common problems, working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with the novice e-collar user in mind, but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie, started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. This five disc set will take you step-by-step step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off-leash.